Well, listen, I want to talk about, uh, we're, we're, we're kind of, Donald and I are sort of shifting through the summer. We're going back and forth and we're alternating and just preaching some standalone messages. Uh, but what, one, what I want to speak about this morning is overcoming anxiety. Uh, I don't know about you, but a lot of people uh, are dealing with anxiety. They're dealing with fear on a level that's, that's greater than what it seems to have been in the past. It just seems like every person that I'm talking to more and more, I'm encountering people that are dealing with great fear, with great ang- anxiety, sometimes panic. And just intense worry, and I believe it's an attack of the enemy. Now, I want to start uh, in Philippians chapter 4. I want to read several verses, and then we'll get into it. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. I like that. Once you look at your neighbor and say, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord Jesus, I know that it's not your will for us to live in fear because your word says that, God, you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so we believe, God, that in your word there is power. And I pray that your word would go forth this morning like a sharp two-edged sword to cut away all worry, all anxiety, all fear, Lord, and to bring freedom in those areas of our hearts and minds this morning so that, God, we can see your will clearly, that, God, your will would not be clouded by our fear any longer. But, Lord, we could see it and we could run after it, God, with boldness and with courage and with faith. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, listen, like I said, I don't know where you're at. I know that several people, even as we we begin to talk about these things, I know that under the sound of my voice, there are people that are dealing with anxiety. They're dealing with fear. They're dealing with panic. Maybe even some people in this room have had almost something close to a panic attack recently. And they've, they've understood what it means to live in that constant state of fear where your mind is always in this place of worry and you're wondering what's going to happen and you're doubting and you're questioning. And I, and I really believe that it is an attack from the enemy. I believe that fear comes from the devil. I believe that it is attack of the enemy because he knows that your destiny is to bring the kingdom of God to other people. He knows that you've been saved, that he's redeemed you, that you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, and that your destiny is to be so transformed by the power of God that you transform other people's lives by bringing them into an encounter with the kingdom of God. But here's the thing. Satan knows and understands that if he can bring fear and panic into our lives, we will take a step back. We will hesitate. We'll be timid and we won't be able to push forward. And what happens is, is that fear, that worry, that anxiety actually clouds our spiritual vision so that we no longer see what God has for us. We begin to think in terms of the evil that could happen, the bad that could happen, what the devil could do. And all of a sudden we move from a place of faith to a place of fear and unbelief. 
And I think one of our greatest challenges, and, and you know, we could preach about different sins and different things like that, but I'm going to tell you one of the greatest sins of the church in our generation is unbelief. And in the scripture, it even says in Hebrews chapter 3, it talks about an evil heart of unbelief. That when God calls us, we see things that seem somehow to be greater than God. Can I tell you this morning that nothing is greater than God? There is nothing that can thwart God's plan. There is nothing that can thwart God's uh, provision in your life. There is nothing that can come against those things except you and your personal unbelief. If you will believe God, there is no devil that can come against you that you will not be able to overcome, that God will not equip you to push through and reach the goal and the destiny that God has for you. But our, our, our vision is clouded by fear. And listen, we all got issues. I've got issues. I've got to be honest with you. Sometimes I deal with some pretty severe anxiety. I've got fear. And every now and then I've got unbelief. I was, I was sitting with Donald just earlier this week. We were having a counseling session. And I was, I was basically laying my fears all out on the table. And, and to some of these fears, he was just like, now you know that none of that's ever going to happen, right? You know none, that's never going to happen, right? I said, I know it, but it's just what I feel. And you all, you all know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's irrational. There are things that I know that are never going to happen, but we deal with relational conflict. We deal with financial difficulties. Some of us, we have health issues. Some of us, we're afraid to step out in faith into what God's called us to because we're afraid of failure. We're afraid we'll never be able to do it. And what if I fail? And what if it doesn't work out? What if this doesn't happen? What if this falls through? And all of a sudden, we're crippled because we are not standing in faith. We begin to question God. We begin to doubt God. We begin to doubt ourselves. And there's two things that honestly have enhanced uh, the, the fear that we carry from all these different things going on in our life, whether it be financial difficulties or relational conflict or whatever. One of the things in our generation is, is just simply electricity. Now, I've never lived in a generation where there wasn't electricity. But listen, I can imagine. I was telling Andrea, I wish, you know, that I had been raised in like the 1860s or something. You know what I'm saying? Because, because then you, you preach and you didn't have to worry about like light. Well, you just put a candle up out somewhere. You know what I'm talking about? And, and you didn't have to worry about whether you had a good presentation on the screen and all this weird stuff. And, and you didn't even have to worry about whether or not she's going to get your podcast out and how many people you were going to reach because you were going to reach the people right in front of you. That was the only ones you could worry about at that time. You know how much that decreases stress? It decreases it quite a bit because really the only people around you that you're connected to, you're going to go to bed when the sun goes down, praise God. You ain't going to open your phone up because you don't have one. You're not going to sit up all night and worry and watch TV and watch the news and see how there's another shooting or another difficulty that's happened, something else bad has happened. And you're not flooding your mind with that junk because you just don't have it. So that, that would be nice. But you know what? We've got electricity. We also have a global news cycle. And on your phone, I'm telling you, here's the thing about you can get all kinds of information like somebody that doesn't even live near us. We know about them already. There are people you haven't even spoke with or seen in years and you know deeply personal information about them because they've posted on Facebook and you know and you know about all the terrible things that happen. And when we talk about the news, man, we know what's going on globally. But here's what they put on the news. Every shooting, every murder. When rape happens, when there's corruption, and all of a sudden you begin to think, man, the world is messed up, it's jacked up, it's getting worse. Can I tell you something? Now, this is just my personal opinion, but I believe the world is getting better. Somebody said, oh, that's blasphemy, son. You need to retract that statement immediately. <laughs> if you become a student of history, what you'll find out is that we're actually living in a pretty daggone good time, especially in America. 
If you become a student of history and you look at the wars, you look at the pestilences, the plagues, the sicknesses, the diseases, the death, the, all kinds of ravaging and pillaging and all sorts of different terrible events that have happened throughout history. We live in a pretty good time. The difference is, is that now we see everything that's going on. There are billions of people on the earth and we have a constant flow of bad news coming into our life. And I'll tell you something, the only good news that we have is the Bible, the Scripture, the Word of God. Everything else is bad news. And believe it or not, when you watch, how many people you ever, you had a bad day, you got nervous, you said, you know what, I'm going to watch the news, maybe that'll make me feel better. No. You watch it, you're going to feel a lot worse. You'll never not watch that without being uneasy. I mean, just recently, uh, you know, I pulled in this morning and Donald said, you're about to go on vacation, aren't you? I said, yeah, I'm about to go. He said, where are you going? I said, down to South Carolina, Charleston. And, and Donald said, oh, well, I thought for a minute there y'all was going to Virginia Beach. See, what was that? Virginia Beach, recently there was a shooting. We need to pray for those people. That's a terrible. So in one sense, it's a good thing for the fact that we can pray and we can intercede for those people because we have knowledge of it. But in another sense, it's a, it's, it, it can affect us because... It, it slowly gets in our minds and it begins to move us into this steady flow of fear, this steady flow of anxiety where the world is pulling at us and expecting the worst in every situation. And see, you can begin to tell when you are stressed or fearful or anxious because fear in the mind causes stress in the body. I was reading something about, I was reading a medical, uh, some medical stuff about fear and the experts, they actually give us some things to look for. And, and how you can know if you're under anxiety, you're under stress, is what are the first, what's the first thing that comes to your mind in the morning when you wake up and what's on your mind when you fall asleep at night? Are you in a place of peace or is your mind racing? When you get up, do you turn your heart and affection toward the Lord or do you, or, or do you turn your heart and affection toward all the things that are going on around you? He says... When you're in a place of stress and anxiety, when you can't listen to your loved ones, and I do this all the time, like, you know, I'm talking, and Andrea calls me out on it, but you know how you're physically present, but mentally you're in another world because you can't, you can't focus. You can't even focus on the people around you and, and you're absent. And, and sometimes you get, you start to get an, like an eye twitch or you get a muscle twitch, a muscle spasm. Anybody ever get those? Sometimes it's a, it's, it's a result of stress or anxiety. You get depressed. You have a brain fog. You'll do something and go into a room and think, what did I even come in here for? Y'all ever done that? What did I even come in here for? And then you can often slip into, because you're so stressful, because you're so anxious, you get a very short fuse. You're quick-tempered. You get angry quick. Matter of fact, you'll be driving down the road and somebody will just slightly cut you off and you flip out. You know what I'm talking about? Just drive up in Lexington. I about kill people every time I go to Lexington. But you know, it's not because I have road rage, it's because they do. And I get mad at their road rage. I'm like, what are you getting so mad for? You know, y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't get mad until somebody else gets mad, right? But it's that stress that brings you up to that level. You gotta ask yourself, what is that thing in your life that is, that is actually hindering you from moving forward with God? What is that fear? Here is, is what God's answer is for your anxiety. I want to give you a few things. We're going to go back to Philippians. Now, I got, I got a lot of points in your notes, but we're going to go through them quickly. 1 John 4, 18 says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. One translation will say torment. Uh, this translation I'm reading says punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, I want to tell you something is that love is not just a thing. Love is a person. 
Love is the person of Jesus Christ. In the same chapter, it says that God is love. And then it says, whoever fears has not been made perfect in this love. Whoever fears has not yet come into the place of spiritual maturity where they realize and they know how much their father loves them. And they know that ultimately, even though the devil is wreaking havoc throughout the world, that ultimately their father is sovereign over all things. And he has all things in the palm of his hand. And no matter what happens to me, I know that my father loves me so much that even when bad happens to me, he will make good out of it because that's how much he loves me. And therefore, I don't have to fear because I know that I'm perfectly loved at all times. And in that perfect love, it begins to cast out all fear. Now, we go through difficulties, but see, there's a love that's found in Jesus Christ that begins to come. But see, fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with the fact that when you look into the future, you think somehow something bad is going to happen to you, your family, in your workplace, in your community, or even in the world. And, I, and here's the thing. I notice that Christians get into this stuff. And, we, and, and there's, a, there's a big Christian movement where all they want to talk about is the, is the rise of the Antichrist and, 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 and the apocalypse. And, and listen, we, there, are, there are some scriptural things where we do need to discuss end times, eschatology. But when you discuss eschatology, you're not talking so much about the Antichrist as you are talking about the return of the Christ. Because eschatology, the end times, is not about how everything gets so terrible that it just, it, it, everything has already been terrible, folks. Yeah, it may get worse in a lot of different ways. And it is important, just like Jesus says, that we are not deceived. But part of the deception is you living in fear. Part of the deception is you buying into the fact that terrible things are going to happen and therefore I need to be fearful. No, even if terrible things happen, the Christian lives in a place of peace. The Christian knows and understands that even when these difficult things happen, my Lord is returning and he's going to set up his kingdom. And I'm going to be found here in a place of peace because I know who my God is. And I'm not going to be shaken by the things that are going on around me. So let me tell you, let me give you six reasons that you've got to fight fear. And, and, and there's a reason I say fight fear. Because fear seeks to oppress you and it's like a bully that is not going to leave you alone unless it's stood up to. Right? Y'all ever been bullied? When I was a kid, I used to have a bowl haircut, okay? And I was just a little fella, just like running around like this. I was kind of a little bit of a sissy, to be honest with you. And there was this kid one time, and he bullied me every day. I remember one day he, he wiped a booger in my head. He, he come up, and he just pushed me all the time. And I, and I, and I didn't know what to do, and it was, it was really, it was, it, was, it was bad. Like I'm telling you, it, it hurt me. It scarred me. And... Uh, you know, my dad, he's not in here, is he? Well, see, when we were growing up, me and my dad, we were not Christians. We watched crazy stuff. And I, we were watching this really violent movie where this, where this guy kicked this dude in the, in the midsection. And so, so I said, well, I, maybe I can pull that on this kid. And I did. I pulled it on this kid, and guess what? He quit bullying me after that. My point being is fear is like a bully. And if you don't stand up to it, it will oppress you. It will come after you. And it will try to keep you locked down and you have to fight it back. Number one, here's one, the first reason to fight fear is that fear is vision without hope. Fear is vision without hope. You have vision. Oh, yeah. You, every one of us, we can look into our future and we say, oh, man, I see it clearly. I see it clearly. But see, when you have fear, your vision, all of a sudden you look into the future and all you see is the bad that is coming down the road. You don't see any good. You don't have any hope. And let me tell you something. You cannot live and make it in this life without hope. 
You cannot make it without a joyful expectation of good things to come. That when you open your eyes and you begin to pray and you begin to look into your future, if you do not see hope, if you do not expect God's goodness, if you do not expect His favor and expect His blessing somewhere along the line, Satan has attacked you and you've believed one of his lies. You've got to look into the future and see hope, folks. You've got to see that God has good prepared for you. And even when difficult things happen, God is still going to work those things together for good because that's who he is. The second thing is that fear only travels to the worst case scenario. Let me tell you something. Fear will never take you to the goodness of God. Being afraid will never take you to a place where you figure out, oh man, this is, just, this is the goodness of God. No, it's not. It's taking you into a direction where you're going to remain away from the goodness of God. It's going to take you toward that which is apocalyptic. And I want to ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand. But how many of you are convinced that everything is always going to end in tragedy or a crisis? No matter what happens, it's not going to end good. I know, I grew up with this guy and he'd always say, you know, I, I, I can't catch a break. Never can catch a break. Never can catch a break. Let me tell you something. When, the, when you're walking with the Lord, you are highly favored. You're blessed. You catch all the breaks. But you've got to believe it. You've got to begin to see the breaks that are catching around you because you are favored by the Most High God. And see, here's what you've got to understand is that fear of the future or fear in the future causes anxiety in the present. And when you look into your future and all you see is fear, tell you what it does, it robs you of your joy today. This is why Jesus, he spoke specifically and he said, don't, I like what it says in the King James Version. It says, take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow will take care of itself. He says, take no thought, don't worry about tomorrow. It's not, you can't control tomorrow. Don't go looking into tomorrow, but do what you can do today and remember to be at peace and be in joy today with the day that the Lord has given you. Let me read something to you out of Matthew chapter 6. I want to read several verses, but I really like this. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. Uh, beginning at verse 24, it says, How could you, this is Jesus speaking, how could you worship two gods at the same time? You will have to hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't worship the true God while enslaved to the God of money. That's a good word right there. We can say amen and just close the doors, walk out, right? Because probably a good majority, not all, but a good majority of the anxiety and stress that people have is because of money. And they give money the place of God. What I mean by that is you actually believe that money is what is going to take care of you. Money is what is going to supply your needs. Money is what is going to give you identity. Money is what's going to make you feel better about yourself. And I promise you, it never, ever will. It never, ever will. And this is why Jesus said specifically before he even talks about worrying, he said, look, boys, you can't worship money, this false God money, and worship the true God at the same time. You got to pick one or the other. You got to decide who is your supporter, who is your provider, who is going to take care of you, who you do trust in. And then he goes on to say, this is why I tell you to never be worried about your life. For all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. Isn't there more to your life than a meal? And isn't your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. Do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant or reap or store up food, yet your heavenly Father provides them each with food. 
Aren't you much more valuable to your father than they? Now, are you more valuable to God than a bird? You better believe you are. But he loves the birds too. Then he says, so which one of you by worrying could add anything to your life? I swear sometimes some of us worry like we can actually add something to our lives. We think somehow by worrying, I'm going to get this situation solved. You're not. I'm not. It's not going to happen. And he said, and why would you worry about your clothing? Look at the beautiful flowers of the field. They don't work or toil. And yet not even Solomon in all his splendor was robed in beauty more than one of these. So if God has clothed the meadow with hay, which is, fa- which is here for such a short time and then dried up and burned, won't he provide for you the clothes you need, even though you live with such little faith? I love that. Won't he provide the clothes for you that you need, even though you live with such little faith? I'm telling you, folks, if there's something that I sense in my heart, and this is not a word of condemnation, but Jesus, even look, the disciples were following Jesus. And they saw him raise people from the dead. They saw him heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind. And yet the thing that he always rebuked them for was because still at the end of the day, they did not believe him. They didn't trust him. They lived in such a little small bit of faith and they were unable to trust him. And then he says this, so then forsake your worries. Why would you say, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For that is what the unbelievers chase after. Let me tell you something. If you're a believer, you're not to chase after money or clothes or food or any of the life's necessities. Those are not what we chase after as as believers. That's what unbelievers chase after. People who have faith, they chase after God because they know God is the one that's going to provide everything that they need. And then he says, doesn't your heavenly father already know the things that your bodies require? You don't have to meet those needs. Your heavenly father already knows. So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all of these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Now that right there, I've been reading that over and over this week. And every time I've read it, I've not even had to add any commentary to it. It's just brought me peace because I realized I don't, I really don't have to worry about these things. The one thing that I have to focus on is chasing after God's kingdom, his kingdom and his righteousness. And God will literally work everything else out and I can cast my burden upon him. Let me give you the third thing. The third reason to fight against fear is that fear turns us into false prophets you look into the future and all you see is, is fear and doom and worry. And you actually begin to prophesy a future that God has not destined for you. Y'all ever done that or heard somebody that's going to do that around you? They begin to speak about, it ain't going to work out. We live in Clay County. That one's always one of the favorite false prophet moves, you know. We live in Clay County. Who cares where you live? Scripture says God makes a, a, a river run through a desert. He makes the rose blossom in a dry land. He plans on bringing things out of the darkest, driest places that you could ever imagine just so you can at the end of it say, there's no way we could have done that. That had to have been God. And he only does it through those people who will have faith in him, who will believe him to do it. But see, you got to shift your thinking and quit prophesying lies about your future and have a heart of unbelief. Number four... Fear ruins our relationships. See, when you're full of fear and anxiety, you're like a grenade with a, pull, with a pin pulled. You're on edge. You're anxious. Y- y- y'all know them people that are just, I know some people, right? 
They're, you you got to be careful about what you say around them because they're sensitive and they're on edge, man. They're, they are liable to blow the top at any time and sometimes they get upset over absolutely nothing. You know, Andre and I, we kind of joke with each other sometimes because when we first, when we went on our first long trip together, I believe it was, her, her mom had actually made us some sandwiches for the road trip. And I don't even know how we got into the situation. But it ended up in me, and I'm just being transparent, it ended up in me yelling at her and saying something like, just make me a sandwich. And, I, and I'm thinking, amen, praise God. Is that y'all's pastor? And I kid you not, probably like five, ten minutes afterward, we looked at each other and just started laughing hysterically. Because, because somehow some sort of stress had gotten us to the point where we were arguing over, over something like a ham sandwich. How are you getting upset over a ham sandwich? But we get in that position, don't we? And everything becomes a crisis. Everything becomes a difficulty. We're freaking out over the smallest things. Some of us, we don't have the gift of faith. We've got the gift of freaking out. And I'm telling you, it's a, it's, a, it's a bad place to be in and it begins to ruin your relationships because you start exhausting people because you worry over nothing. Number five, fear makes us selfish. When you get fearful, you start to focus inwardly. You don't care about nobody else. You're worried about me. I'm trying to get mine. I'm trying to take care of myself. It's all about me. My world is crumbling around me. Something is about to get me. And you need to focus all of your attention on me. My emotional state should be the center of your life right now. And you become a vacuum wanting everybody to focus on you rather than you being comforted by God and realizing that the same people you're trying to get to focus on you are the same people that are dealing with fears and sin and struggle and anxiety just like you. And the scripture says that if you are in distress... We do need to bear one another's burdens. But listen, you cannot allow yourself to enter into that place of selfishness where you as a Christian are not available to minister to the others that are broken because you're so caught up in your own mess. Man, we get, I'm telling you, as Christians, a healthy church is one. I've been talking to some of the people in here in prayer meeting, and I really believe this, that right now in this season in our church, I tell people I don't have a very good church growth model. I don't say the right words. We don't do the right things a lot of times. But what God has called us to right now at this season is not to grow a church numerically, but we've got to grow the people that God has given us. What good does it do if we just pack this place out with hundreds of people and have three or four services, and the people that are sitting in the seats are not strong spiritually and emotionally? And we're all just a mess and we bring them on into their mess. We have got to make sure that we are growing emotionally, spiritually, that we're not being selfish, that we have healthy relationships. Sometimes hurting people, we are supposed to reach and help hurting people. But listen, if you're a hurting person, I got you, you need to understand, and I've been in this situation, sometimes hurting people become the most selfish people. And I know that's a difficult thing to say, but when you're hurting, you need help, you need to seek comfort, you need to reach out to people. But at the end of the day, you need to also be pouring yourself out for others, loving others, ministering to others, because that's going to help you in the process of healing as well. Amen. Number six. Nobody's going to like this one. Fear is a demon spirit that has to be cast out. And don't take my word for it. Let's take scripture's word for it. For it. First John 4, 18 says that, right, just what we read, perfect love casts out fear. The Greek word there is ekbalo. The word is used... 99% of the time in Scripture when Jesus is referring to casting out a demon. 
And the, the usage, the language here is perfect love. It casts out fear. The same way that Jesus would cast out a demon. And you say, well, how do we, how would, how do we know that for sure? Well, the scripture says in, in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us, it doesn't say just fear, it says a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And why is this important? Because you need to understand that when you are dealing with the devil, he doesn't just go away from you sitting back on, your, on, your, on yourself just praying and hoping, God, please help me, God, please help me. There is a time when you need to step into your authority and you need to speak to your fears and you need to stand boldly and drive them out. What fear seeks to do is make you timid, make you back up until you are weeping and crying and you embrace the fear and you say, I am scared. And then all of a sudden he's got you. And he says, they have come into agreement with me. They have come into agreement with the fact that they are afraid and they need to begin to get into the word of God. He understands that. He knows that if you take a stand in the word of God, listen, there are times when I feel fearful. There are times when I feel anxious, but I do not necessarily begin to pro proclaim and just go to everybody saying, I'm just scared. I'm just scared. Oh, I'm just worried. No, I begin to stand in the face of that fear. And tell it what the word of God says and resist it and drive it back and cast it out. You can't stand and begin to weaken in those areas. You've got to stand up to it. See, the demonic works on your fear. And they want fear in your mind to cause anxiety in your body until they can literally make you unhealthy, get you into a weakened state where you're not sleeping well, where you become vulnerable, and then the enemy attacks you. How many of you are you've ever been in that situation? I've been in that situation. You slowly get worn down. You're fearful, you're anxious, you slowly get worn down. And you even get to the place, you know, there, there's, a group, there's, a, there's a group of people, and I'll say this, if you ask my wife, you wouldn't think it just because I'm up here preaching, but I'm one of the most introverted people that I know. Donald talks about it. Donald, Donald says, you know, he, he was actually giving me a list of my weaknesses earlier uh, in the week. I love it when people give you a list of your weaknesses. But he said, one of them that he gave me was that I, that I, ha I would have the, 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 the tendency to isolate. And that's true. I have a tendency to isolate. I would prefer, honestly, to be isolated, to not be around people because I'm refueled in those moments. Now, if I were not a pastor, if it were not for the Holy Spirit, I probably would have a difficult time getting involved in church. Because when I come in, I really don't want to talk to you I don't necessarily want you to shake my hand. If you ask me out to dinner, I got to go home and process that first. Anybody on my level? I got to process that. I can't just go. I got to think about this. Fill out a connect card. Let me process that. I don't know how connected I want to be yet or not. So y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm, we're on that level. And so when you get into that situation, you get, you get into those, those vulnerabilities and, 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 and Satan begins to attack you at, at, at the state of your weaknesses. But here he's trying to drive you into that isolation. He wants you to not be connected to people. And some of you say, you say, well, that's just my personality. You got to fight that. Because until you get into healthy relationships where you can open up with people around you and you can learn to trust. And not only that, but you can, let, let me say this to you, please, let, please hear me on this. But you can get into relationships in this church and allow people in here to hurt you. Because what happens is you start to think that because you're in a church, everybody should be perfect and you should never be hurt. And if you do get hurt, you close up and that says, well, praise God, that affirmed what I wanted to do. I'm going back in isolation. And that's what people do, don't they? 
And you cannot afford to do that. You have to begin to fight against that. Listen, it's a good thing that people hurt you because you get to learn to forgive like Jesus did. Praise God. Somebody shout amen. amen. Now, you know that's true. You got to step into it. So Philippians 4, 4 through 7. We all got our points of anxiety. I got five more points and we're going to go to the house. Praise God. Five ways to overcome anxiety. Number one, look for the good. That seems pretty simple, straightforward. Verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, you got to understand, when Paul actually wrote this, he was in prison at the time. Who goes to prison for preaching the gospel and says, hey, boys, rejoice? That's a different kind of mindset, isn't it? He says, again, I will say, just in case you missed it, again, I will say rejoice. See, when you're full of fear and anxiety, you only see the bad. You only focus on the bad. It's hard. You sit down to meet with people. You can't, even, you can't even see the good things around you. You have no thanksgiving. You don't see one thing in your, in your life that is worth being excited or happy about because you're only seeing the bad. And let me tell you something about the Christian life is that good and bad are both running on two rails in your life. Everybody in here, there's good that's happening in your life right now, and there's also bad that's happening in your life. There's difficulty, there's challenges happening in your life. Now, the pessimist says, which I, I have been in my past, okay? Still am a little bit. But the pessimist says, there is only one trail, and it's all bad, and it's only ever going to lead to bad. The optimist says, no, there's one trail, but it's all good, and it's all only going to lead to good. Now, personally, I have a problem with the optimists. They just get on my nerves. I want them to be rational. But we need optimists, thank God, because if everybody was like me, we'd all be depressed all the time. So we've got those two rails running. But see, neither one of those are correct because the Christian is this. The Christian sees both rails. They don't live in a fantasy world where it's all good all the time. It's all Joel Osteen. It's all smiles and everything's promotion every day. You're going to be sometimes you ain't going to get promoted, praise God. Somebody say amen to that. But what the, the thing is, is that yes, God will bring promotion and prosperity into your life. But when he doesn't, can you still rejoice? Because even though this rail for a minute is bad, you know that there is good that is coming and that God has got your back and that either way that things are going to turn for the good in my life. And I trust God to do that. Amen. Bad things are going to happen. And see, if you believe that it's all good all the time, then when the bad does happen, all of a sudden it takes you by surprise. It knocks you out. I'm telling you, difficulties are going to happen. You're going to have tribulation. But you've got to know that God is with you and He is going to turn those things around for the good. And the Christian says, I see both the bad and the good, but I'm going to pour my energy into the good. And I'm going to be constantly expecting God's good in my future. Amen? Number two is make your will your rudder. Verse 5 says, let your reasonableness. This one says gentleness. In the ESV it says, let your reasonableness be known to all men. Now I like that, let your reasonableness be known to all men. Because it's a steadiness, it's a calm, it's like a soldier who's been battle tested. It's like, because Paul at this time, I don't know if you know much about Paul, but the scripture says that he had been beaten several times on the back. He had been whipped with 39 stripes several times. He had been beaten with rods. Now, one, one historian says that when you're beaten with rods, they would hang your legs and your feet out over a platform and they would beat your feet and legs with metal rods. That would be fun. Uh, he was shipwrecked. He spent a night and a day in the, in the ocean. 
trying to, trying to get up there, right? So he had some difficult times. People were trying to kill him everywhere he went. But he says, let your reasonableness be known to all men. Let your calm, let the fact you are, he's a soldier that's battle tested so that even when the bullets are flying, he's not hunkered down somewhere just like this, scared to death, trembling. He's calm, he's collected, he's at peace because he's seen warfare and he's known how to overcome it. He says, this is nothing for God. God's pulled me through once, he's going to pull me through again. He shut the mouths of the lion before, he's going to shut the mouths of the lion again. I got through it before, I'm going to get through it again. And God is going to bring you through. And that gives you a type of peace where you know everything's going to be okay. And guess what? All the people around you, they see your reasonableness. They see your calm spirit and they say, how come he's not freaking out? It's because you trust in God. It's because you believe. And you got to let your will be your rudder because most people... Their emotions are kind of like a, a, a sail on a sailboat. And whenever the wind hits, man, your emotions just drive you wherever. Something happens, your emotions are up, they're like a sail, and you just get driven just wherever you feel. Wherever you, and see, you have no rudder, and so your life becomes out of control, and everything that happens to you just drives you wherever, here and there, back and forth. You're unstable. You become unstable. And see, what you have to do is develop a relationship with God where you get a resolve of the Holy Spirit. I called it the other day. They really liked it. Holy Ghost grit, okay? Y'all know about it. It's called self-control. You get Holy Ghost grit, where when something happens, it doesn't move you. You don't get caught up. And even though you may be emotional, what happens is, is you have a resolve in your spirit so you can, with your will, turn that rudder and use your emotions to direct you back to the Word of God, back to the will of God, back to refocus. Because look, you're going to get angry sometimes. You're going to get frustrated sometimes. You're going to get fearful and you're going to get worried. You are going to doubt sometimes. But let those emotions exercise your will over those emotions and say, Lord, I'm feeling all kinds of ways right now, but I'm going to let this wind of what's happening drive me emotionally back into your word, back into what you say, back into your will. Number three, replace worrying with praying. Verse six says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So you got two options when you're stressed. You can sit and worry by yourself or you can choose to pray to the Lord. And you know, when we're afraid, here's what I've noticed about people, they want resolution. When people even come to me for counsel, they're anxious, they're fearful, they're worried about something. What they're wanting literally is for it to be fixed then. And they want me to be able to pray a prayer, cast out the devil and make everything fixed so that when they leave, they're full of joy, miraculously. And sometimes, guess what? The Lord will do that. But it's very rare. Why? Because God has created us in such a way that we have to participate with Him in spiritual growth so that we can maintain our breakthrough. You don't just get a breakthrough and go out and live the same way. You have to put in the effort to participate with God so that you can maintain that spiritual breakthrough. And you've got to replace worrying with praying. But people want a resolution. And let me tell you what God wants. Relationship. And you come to God and you say, God, give me a resolution. Fix this thing. Do it now. And you're praying and you're praying and it doesn't happen the next day. So you say, well, God didn't do it. Let me set out and take care of this myself. And you quit praying. And let me tell you something. As soon as you quit praying, you take the role of God. When you pray, you're allowing God to be God. And you can rest. You can put it in God's hands. And you can rest because you know that God's got it. 
I heard one person say one time, you know, if you pray and after you get done praying, you're still in that state of fear. You're still in that state of worry. You didn't pray. You just complained. Because prayer means that you come to the one who cares for you and you learn to transfer your cares. You learn to transfer your burden in that prayer so that you really do. You say, God, I'm bringing this to you. I'm burdened with this. But I'm putting this on your, in your hands because you said if I come to you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, I'm giving you my burden. I'm letting you be God and I'm going to bed tonight and I'm going to let you take care of the outcome because I can't change it by staying up and worrying and being fearful. I'm putting it in your hands and I trust that somehow you're going to work it out. And I trust that God, your Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me. And when I need wisdom to say the right thing or take the right step or do the next thing that matters, I'm going to trust you with it. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, right? Let your requests begin to pray. And number four, tell God what you want. Let your requests be made known to God. Tell him what you want. You know, God can speak to you supernaturally. He can speak to you through his word. And sometimes, sometimes people come, come to me and they're like, you know, I just don't know if this is the Lord's will. I just don't know if this is the Lord's will. You need to quit looking at the Lord's will as a tightrope and start looking at it more like an interstate. There's a lot. You can switch lanes sometimes. But as long as you're headed toward Jesus, you can stay in the will of God. You can switch lanes. It doesn't have to be every little perfect detail is, is, is the perfect, flawless will of God. You say, well, I don't know if this job is the will of God. Let me tell you something. You could mess up and take a job and God will still actually teach you in that job and lead you back to the place where you need to be. His will is broad. You can switch lanes in it. There's different things that are going on. And sometimes God is not commanding you every detail. Sometimes like a father is, the father will ask the child, what do you want to do? What would you like to do today, son? Because it's not about me commanding you what to do. I want to know what you want to do. Will you let your request, tell me what you want. Talk to me about what you want. Talk to me about what you want me to do. Because I want to spend time with my child. I want to spend time with my son. I want to hear what you want to do. His will is broad. Let me tell you something, though, about when you bring your request to God. And this is a big one that I believe in. And people struggle with it sometimes. And it is a struggle. I believe God is sovereign over all things. That means that we live in a messed up world, but he is able to take even the worst of things and turn them back for the good. But see, sometimes we get God's will mixed up with the devil's will. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So when I pray, I never look at loss or death or destruction and say, well, God, that must have been your will. God is not the author of loss, death, or destruction. Satan is. And you've got to understand that we live in a fallen world where loss happens, where death happens, where destruction happens. But when we pray, we pray according to the will of God. And let me tell you something. That means that we pray against loss. We pray against death. We pray against destruction. But here's the beauty of it all is that because we live in a fallen world, we're all going to experience loss. We're all going to experience death. We're all going to experience destruction. Now, that does not mean that God wanted that thing to happen. But what it does mean is that one day he will reverse all of it. And there is nothing that you won't go through that he doesn't see. And if you're weeping, he is weeping with you because he sees us in a broken world. And that's the reason Jesus had to come. Because he wanted to redeem us from loss, from death, and destruction. You realize that? 
So it's important that when we pray, we pray according. We pray just what Jesus taught us. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because this earth right now does not yet look like heaven, but when Jesus comes back, it will. And that's what we're praying into. That's what we're believing God for. And number five, enjoy God's presence and enjoy his peace. See, he says, where is the Lord at in this? It says that the Lord is at hand. And it says that when you pray, you bring your request unto God. And it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So the first thing is the presence of God. Enjoy his presence. Sometimes when you're fearful, the thing that you need more than anything is to come into the presence of God, is to be in his presence. And when you come into this presence of God, you need to understand that there is, there's one command that is mentioned more than any other place in the Bible, okay? And that is fear not. Fear not. Now you can hear that as a command. I imagine like a little boy being scared to death, you know, and his daddy running in and just saying, fear not, quit being afraid. Now, if you did that, that'd be weird, right? It'd be, I'd be like, no, nah, I'm more scared now, Dad. You, you just scared me. But it's an invitation because if you read, there, there are like 365 times where the Lord says, don't be afraid, fear not, something like that. And the majority of times that it says, don't be afraid, it immediately says, for I am with you. The reason you cannot be afraid is because the Lord promises to give you His presence and be with you through whatever you go through. When you're afraid, you can know that your Father is going to go through it with you and it's an invitation to be with Him. And then it says His peace. See, His peace, it surpasses all understanding. He says it guards your heart, it guards your emotional life, and it guards your mind, it begins to guard your thoughts. And that language guard is the language of a soldier that says it's the Holy Spirit that's going to be standing out front against the enemy that is coming to attack your emotional life and bring fear into your heart and bring fear into your mind and bring torment into your life. He says the Holy Spirit is standing out front to guard your heart, your emotional life, and to guard your mind and to keep you protected in those times when you get ang anxious and you get worried. And then lastly, the last verse, let me read this and then we'll... Uh, you guys can come to the music. It says, verse 8, says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just or pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. A big part of the battle, I'm telling you, folks, we get inundated with all kinds of bad information, bad news all of the time. Difficult situations. And if you are not in the Word of God, and so if, if you do not have a life in Scripture where you're hearing the Word of God, it is nearly impossible to live a life of peace. Somebody amen me, right? And you, you need to come into agreement with me on that because I'm telling you, spiritual warfare is the ability to exercise your mind and think on the good things of God and cast down imaginations and thoughts and arguments that are bringing fear and anxiety in your life and saying, I'm not going to allow these thoughts and these lies to hang out in my mind and cause me another sleepless night. I'm choosing to meditate on those things that are good and pure and lovely and are praiseworthy and of a good report. I ain't going to listen to a bad report in my mind all day long. I'm going to change it with the report of the Lord and I'm going to meditate on all those things. And when I do that, he says, the God of peace will be with you. You do your part. You be in the word. You cast down lies and thoughts and imaginations and you replace it with God's truth and God's word. 
Now, let me tell you something. We're not alone in our anxiety. We're not alone because, you know, some people have said, well, is worry, is worry sin? I believe sometimes worry is sin, especially when it's rooted in unbelief. But I need you to understand that there was a time when even Jesus worried, and we know that Jesus was sinless. Amen. You say, well, Jesus worried? When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, I believe that he was under extreme anxiety, extreme stress. The scripture says that he sweat great drops of blood. He went to his disciples and he said, listen, I'm, I'm very troubled to the point of death here tonight. He was entering into the fullness of our humanity. He was getting ready to suffer what is probably the worst thing that the human being suffers, and that's torture and death. And he was entering into that and he was taking our sin upon himself. And he knew that because of that, when he became sin, it was going to affect him in some way when he was taking that on. And he began to sweat great drops of blood before he took your sin to the cross because he was under such pressure, such anxiety, such fear. But while he was in it, what did he do? Three times he began to pray. And what did he do? He brought his request before the Lord. He said, Lord, Father, if it be your will, he said, if you're willing, take this cup from me. I don't want to go through this. Now, most of the time, I'm telling you, God is a green light dad, man. He likes to say yes and go. But there are times when you pray when God will say, no, son, I'm doing something that's bigger than what you can understand. Jesus understood fully, but his humanity, he was feeling that. He was fearful. He was struggling with it. And three times he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But what did he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I understand that my humanity could be getting in the way. My fear, my anxiety, my fear of dying, the point that I don't, the the fact that I don't want to face suffering could be getting in the way. The fact that I don't want to necessarily take on this sin, which affects my relationship with you, all that could be getting in the way. So ultimately, I submit my humanity to your will. That's what you got to do. Say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done in this situation. Your will be done in this situation. And I love it because when he comes up from that third time of praying through and letting his request be made known unto God, I believe at that moment the peace of God that passed all understanding started to guard his heart and his mind. And he was resolved because when he stood up and they came in and they came after him in the garden, they said, he says, whom do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He stood up and just like in Exodus chapter 4, he said, I am. And they all fell face down on their face because the glory of God had been on him. I believe at that point he was in perfect peace. He had come into the will of the Father. He had submitted his will to the Father's will. And he had come into agreement, one with the Father and his will, to die for your sins, to bring peace to your life with God, to bring peace into your mind, to know that you have salvation, to know that you have redemption, to know that you're washed in the blood of Jesus, to know that you are forgiven. Let me tell you something. Sometimes in our life, there's a difference between harm and hurt. Sometimes when we have things in our heart, a surgeon has to come in. Maybe something in your body that's destroying you. A surgeon comes in and he cuts you open, doesn't he? I don't know if you know this or not, but it hurts you. But he's actually coming in to get something out that is going to bring harm and destruction to you. And sometimes you may go through difficulties, but God is like a surgeon. He will never, ever harm you, but sometimes it feels like he's going to hurt you. But in the end, he's cutting something out that will ultimately destroy you. And you don't understand everything, because I know you're going through difficulties, but you can trust God. You can trust God with your life, and you can lay down your burdens this morning. Amen? I want you to stand to your feet with me.
want you just to bow your heads just for a moment. Let's just address this. I, I, I really believe that God wants to begin to break some of this fear, some of this anxiety off people's lives. But I just want you to be honest with yourself. The first thing I want to do is I just want to know if there's anybody in here this morning. You don't, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're not sure of your salvation. And you want to make that sure. There is no greater gift. There's no greater step in our lives than when we choose to follow Jesus and say, Jesus, I want that gift of salvation. I want you to give that to me. I want to repent. I want to come to know you. And I want to start that journey with you today. If that's you, you're in this place, I want you to just lift your hand right where you're at. Just you and me. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at to let me know? I see you. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just lift your hand. I got you, brother. I see you. That's two people that are that are deciding that they want to follow Jesus. Is there anybody else this morning? Anybody else this morning? Now, here's the second thing. I'm going to pray with you all in just a moment. If, but I want to deal now with those people that have been, you've really been struggling with fear or anxiety or doubt, maybe even depression. And you're saying, I, I really need help in this area. This is something that I need God to help, help me with. And I need to start taking steps in the direction of getting free from this fear and this anxiety. Would you just lift your hand up real quick? Let me see you. Now, I want us to pray. I want us to pray corporately. So here's what I'm going to do. And I know sometimes it's, it's, it, we don't like being called out. But rather than praying with you right now, there was a lot of people that raised their hands, so you're not going to be alone. But if you raise your hand, I want you to please, would you just, would you just come up here right now? Because I want us to be able to pray with you. I want us to be able to pray with you. And, th- and, and those of you, though, the two of you that said you want to give your life to Jesus, just come over here and stand with them. Some of you that, that, that are able to pray, I want you to just begin to gather around them here. So I want to I want to pray a quick prayer and then I'm going to come and I want y'all to stay there because I want us to pray with you individually one by one and just let the Lord start to move as we worship. But Father, right now, I just pray that you just send your spirit like a wave over each person in this place this morning to bring complete peace. God, every fear, we rebuke it in Jesus' name. Cast out every fear right now, Jesus, with your perfect love. Walk into every situation to bring perfect peace right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we trust you to lift all anxiety is broken in Jesus' name. Every fear cast out in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for courage and boldness and faith to rise up, God, so that when they begin to see and look into their future, Lord, they see your goodness, they expect your goodness, they expect your favor. God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.